Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 62. And just a quick thank you to BZ, the voice for the newest intro to Star Wars Comics and Canon. I'll probably mix between the one with Dominic Pace and BZ. I'm hoping to get lots of other people involved in Star Wars or who just sound cool doing that. But I just want to say a quick thank you to BZ. I've included a link to his site in the description. So then guys, this week, what am I going to be tackling? Well, I am tackling Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith. So in certain places, or at least on the front of the comic, it's just called Darth Vader. And it seems like when you buy the comic, it's often called Dark Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, but it's not really called that anywhere else apart from publishing. It's, it's, it's quite bizarre, but it's the 2017 Darth Vader run. And it is arguably my favourite Star Wars comic run in all of the modern canon. I absolutely love it. I talk about it quite a lot and I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to discuss it now. Now, for any first-time listeners, just to clarify, I'm going to go through the story, give you general footnotes of certain plot details and things like that as I go through them in chronological order. And then along the way, I'm going to talk about sort of connections, characters, species, certain things that pop up that means that you can listen to this and never have read the comic, or you can have read the comic and listen to this. Either way, it doesn't really make a difference. It's just more so one is kind of, you know, your light guide to the canon and the stories and that sort of thing. And the other one is like a companion to help you understand certain elements that you may have missed on your own read so that is what i'm here for and you guys probably should have heard the book club promo at the start Um, we are recording that as of why i'm recording right now we're recording that tomorrow it's going to be about this exact thing Uh, i'm going to be editing that as well i'm not 100 sure when i'm going to release it Um, but i should be releasing the book club thing shortly after releasing this so after you guys listen to this make sure you keep your eye on the feed of comics in motion uh, and then you can listen to myself and i believe it's going to be matthew b lloyd and dave horrocks and we're all going to sit down and talk about this very comic because as people may know who are regular listeners i don't really give my opinion on these comics and i certainly don't go into any depth about it this is more of an analysis in some ways but kind of like a footnotes retelling of and connective tissue and things so i want to flag that up before we get started and uh, yeah well, let's go on to the comic information So then guys, what I'm tackling is going to be six issues. It is the first volume of Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith. Now, the arc itself is called The Chosen One, but if you buy the trade paperback collection of these six issues, it's called Imperial Machine. Not sure why, but just in case anyone gets confused. So as I said, tackling issues one to six. Issue number one came out in June 2017. Issue six came out in October 2017. And the trade paperback collection came out in December 2017. Uh, But it's worth noting that the digital ebook version of the trade paperback actually came Came out in November 2017. The writer of this story is Charles Saul, the penciler is Giuseppe Cayman Coley, the inker is Cam Smith, and the colour artist is David Curiel. So let me just clarify a couple of things about this comic before we get started with the crawl and that sort of jazz. So this is one of three main series of Darth Vader. Two of them are finished, including this one, and one of them is still going. So there's one, which is the 2015 Darth Vader run. Uh, That was written by Kieran Gillen. I tackled that in episodes 15, 17, 19, 23, and 29 of Star Wars Comics in Canon, or it's in the Darth Vader playlist on YouTube. And that was set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Then this one, the 2017 run, this I 
we'll be tackling over, like once a month. And this is actually set directly after Revenge of the Sith. I'm going to explain sort of the plot and things, but you'll know by the first scene it is literally within Revenge of the Sith. So it technically actually starts a little bit within uh, Revenge of the Sith by a tiny amount, but I'll mention that when I start. And then the third Darth Vader run, which is ongoing at the moment, it started in 2020. That's by Greg Pak. And that is set between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So those are the three eras of the Vader series. And for clarity, I have tackled the other Vader series. There's the two mini-series. There's Vader Dark Visions, which is a few one-shots about people's interactions with the Vader in different ways. Some of them are really cool. And that is episode 41 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. And then the mini-series Target Vader, which obviously has Vader in it and is like a prequel to the ongoing series of Bounty Hunters. That was episode 49 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. I will include that in the description as well. I just know that some people don't check out the description. They would rather I say it, which is why I do this. Uh, so this is my personal favorite. It is connected to the prequels in a lot of ways, and you will see why. And there's lots of fun connections here because, you know, this is out a few years after the canon. So there's a lot more connections and whatnot. And Charles Saul is excellent at making a lot of connections and things. You know, I tackled the Obi-Wan and Anakin miniseries on the show, which he wrote, as well as the Lando miniseries that he wrote as well. And there's a lot of connections to those going forward too. So so lots of fun things to talk about in a preamble, which normally my preambles aren't quite this long. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's start with the crawl. The Clone Wars are over. The Jedi are defeated. Palpatine has become Emperor, finally in position to bend the galaxy to his will through the power of the Sith. Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker has fallen to the dark side of the Force. Swayed by Palpatine's promise to help prevent the death of his pregnant wife Padme, Skywalker betrayed the Jedi and became the Sith Lord Darth Vader. Defeated by his old friend and former master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Vader was left to die on the volcanic planet Mustafar. Retrieved by Palpatine and placed into a suit of cybernetic armour to preserve his life, Vader awakens to learn that his wife has died. Now, for Darth Vader, there is only rage, pain, and the new galactic empire. So as I said, this takes place literally at the very tail end of Revenge of the Sith, and chronologically speaking, that is 19 years before the Battle of Yavin, and Battle of Yavin is a new hope. So directly after and this whole comic run I believe it's 25 issues if off the top of my head and it runs for about two or so years I think I seem to vaguely remember that the first or second volume is like directly after uh, Revenge of the Sith which is what we'll get into here and then either the next arc or the one after that it then does a small time jump of like a year or two but obviously there's 19 years between and you know Vader he does eventually show up in Star Wars Rebels and that is a, I think Star Wars Rebels starts around five years before A New Hope and Rogue One uh, so there is still, you know, 13 to 14 years between Revenge of the Sith and when you next see Vader. Um, obviously, there's the Kenobi series that's coming out, which I think is like halfway between. So I think the Kenobi series is going to be set after all of these Darth Vader comics and whatnot. But judging by the scheduling and things, I should be completely finished with all of the Vader comics before Kenobi ever comes out. So yeah, that's just the timeline stuff. So let's get into the main story. So the story specifically takes place in the infamous scene in Revenge of the Sith, which is probably my least favourite part of the entire movie, uh, which is right near the end when Hayden Christensen puts on the suit of arm, which is really, really cool, and he sits up in there and he asks Palpatine, is Padme still alive? And Palpatine says, it seems like in your anger you killed her. And then he gets angry and yells out a big old no. And no one on the planet talks like that or does that, and Anakin's never really been like that, which is quite frustrating. And then also they obviously edited the special edition 
tradition of Return of the Jedi to add Invader saying no when he throws Palpatine down the pit in the Death Star 2. And that also is my least favourite edit to any of the special editions and things. I can get on board with most of them or kind of ignore most of them, but that no, it just doesn't make any sense and it really annoys me. So this scene takes place directly after that in Revenge of the Sith and Charles Saul does his best to make it so that this scene, like when I watch Revenge of the Sith now, because I know what happens in these comics, it bugs me a little bit less. But it starts with Vader saying no and then he says, you know, no a few times and you see some flashes of him thinking what happened and then he force pushes Palpatine into a wall and Palpatine lets out a big grunt and it's probably one of the only times you actually see Palpatine even vaguely wounded, aside from his battle with Mace Windu, Yoda, and then obviously later in Return of the Jedi. Um, But all that aside, let's continue. Vader says to Palpatine, you told me you could save her. And Palpatine says, in your rage, you chose a different path. But Padme gives you a gift in her death, pain. Palpatine then uses force lightning on Vader, electrocuting him quite badly, and Palpatine is yelling at him, where is your lightsaber? Use it to defend yourself. And Vader says that he lost it in his fight with Obi-Wan, who took it. And Palpatine says, nope, that blade belongs to another, a Jedi. You are a Sith. And he confirms that he realises that it's been a traumatic time for him, but he says, if you touch me with the force again, I will finish what Kenobi could not. And then he puts his lightsaber to the neck of Darth Vader. And it's quite cool seeing Palpatine with lightsabers. I mean, obviously you see it in Revenge of the Sith and you see him do some crazy tricks and things. And then in the Clone Wars, I think there's like one or two arcs where you see him with his saber. I think when he goes against Maul and Savage Press, you get to see it. But aside from that, he doesn't really use lightsabers. He's not really much of that. I mean, obviously once all the Jedi basically exterminated, he's so unbelievably powerful that no one can stop him anyway. So why would he need a lightsaber? Uh, but that's beside the point. So Palpatine then turns his lightsaber off and then says, come on then, friend, and then they kind of walk off. And he mentions to Vader, your personal vendettas pale to the needs of the Galactic Empire. And that's obviously talking about Vader not pursuing Obi-Wan, because the first thing Vader probably wants to do is go straight to Obi-Wan and try and get him. I'm not. I'm pretty certain they don't know where Obi-Wan is, because if they would have, they probably would have got him by now. But then the Kenobi series that's coming out, I think, next year, maybe that will change that. No one really knows the plot details of Kenobi as of yet. So the next scene basically shows two things at once. It's got Palpatine talking to Vader about lightsabers and about lightsaber crystal bleeding, um, which is that a Sith saber is not given, it is taken. And the bleeding gets mentioned later on in the comic. There's quite a big theme in this arc. But the other scene that you're seeing at the same time is a character called Mars Ahmeda. Now, Mars Ahmeda is a Chagrian. He is blue, and you would see him in The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. He serves as the vice chair to Chancellor Valorum in The Phantom Menace and prior to that. And then when Palpatine becomes the Chancellor, he also is the vice chair to him then. He then becomes the Grand Visa in the Empire. And as I said, you would recognize him. He is a blue gentleman. He's got like leku sort of tentacle things coming down the sides of his head. And he's fairly tall. I mean, if you, there's not any other blue people people who stand next to Palpatine in the prequel trilogy, so that's who he is. Um, he's also actually in the Aftermath trilogy as well, which is um, books written by Chuck Wendig, which are set just after Return of the Jedi, and they last about a year and a half, all the way to the Battle of Jakku. And I really enjoy those books, I really recommend people check them out. And in Aftermath, he actually surrenders to the New Republic to give them some information on the Imperial Remnant, which is basically the pieces of the Empire that are scattered and left after Palpatine, Vader, and the Death Star 2 are all gone. Obviously, the entire empire just goes into disarray when you don't have an emperor to rule the empire but all that stuff is years and years into the future in fact i think from the point of this comic it is 23 24 years later so almost a lifetime ago uh, but yeah that's mars Ahmeda. 
So Mars Ahmed is standing in front of what appears to be the Jedi Temple and he is proclaiming a lot of things. He's basically saying there's no more Jedi left, they've all been wiped out and things, and he is getting the clones to amass lightsabers. Now he's getting all the lightsabers of the different Jedi and he actually throws Yoda's lightsaber into this fire furnace thing. And then all of these lightsabers, you know, the, the fire starts properly and it shoots out this big blue light, which is all the kyber crystals exploding and or dying, if you call it that, because kyber crystals are alive in some ways. They're connected to the living force. And that's why, you know, when Jedi make their lightsabers, they kind of bond with it and things. It doesn't really go into that very much in the movies, especially with Anakin, where he just seems to lose his lightsaber constantly. And obviously Obi-Wan loses his in The Phantom Menace and he doesn't really seem to care that much. Um, but it, it's meant to be something that people care about. I would probably liken it a little bit to you know when people get cars and they're really into their cars some people are like really upset when they get rid of them but other people just aren't fussed i wonder if it's kind of like that but a kyber crystal is meant to kind of bond with you somewhat uh, jedi fallen order the game is an excellent representation of kyber crystal hunting and things like that and the connections i think that's one of the best representations i've seen actually of, of jedi getting kyber crystals but there is also an arc in the clone wars i think it's series five if i'm not mistaken and there's like a bunch of younglings who go to Ilum, which eventually becomes Starkiller Base in The Force Awakens. And they go to Ilum, which is where all the kyber crystals, or a lot of the kyber crystals are, with Ahsoka and Yoda. And it just shows how they kind of get them. That's a really, really cool thing as well. Um, lots of connections and things, bits and pieces that I'm waffling on about. But yeah, go check those things out. So anyway, so after Mars Ahmed is sort of proclaiming things, there's a big crowd and whatnot, and you know, everyone is like, ooh, when the lightsaber fire turns blue and that sort of stuff. Uh, and then it continues with Palpatine and Vader, well, Palpatine talking at Vader, and Palpatine sends Vader to the mid-rim to go get a lightsaber. So he lands on this planet in the mid-rim, and Palpatine says that there was a ship left for Vader, but clearly it was stolen, so Vader will need to go and get it. So Vader then starts to walk. It shows that in his helmet, he can actually adjust his optical scanners, so he clicks this thing on his belt, and it just means that he can see things slightly differently. The colour is like normally red through his eyes in a sense and then there's like a purple one and a different color one so it's kind of different visions i would presume one is more thermal one is more this you know i assume he can zoom in i would i would hope i don't think i've ever seen vader use monoculars which i think are the star wars equivalent of binoculars i've never seen vader use them so i would presume that he can like zoom in with the technology in his helmet but i'm not 100 sure about that aspect so the way this comic ends, it's got Vader, he manages to find these slavers who took his ship, and there's got some really cool scenes of him just killing them all using the Force, because obviously he hasn't got a saber at the moment, and the last guy that he kills, he just slams him onto the floor head first, and there's a loud crunch. It is really cool, I will say, all the Darth Vader comics have some of the coolest Vader action in them. These ones especially have amazing Vader moments showing his power and stuff, but I'd say the best is probably the Vader down crossover. I tackled that in episode 19 of Star Wars comics and canon that is set between a new hope and empire strikes back and yeah vader basically his ship gets shot down on a planet there's loads of rebels there and they all try and fight him and spoiler alert they don't kill him because obviously he's in the subsequent films uh, but that shows vader's power is silly but obviously at that point that's like 19 ish maybe 20 years after this comic and although vader is obviously powerful now it does take him a while to get into the role of being darth vader in the suit as everyone kind of knows him to be which is one of the reasons i like this comic so much is because it really does show anakin basically struggling being vader or vader struggling in the suit however you want to kind of frame it 
So that's where that comic ends. There is also like a mini comic afterwards called No Good Deed. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details here. It's just like a fun little cute cartoon comic thing. Uh, the style is of the people is it's almost like Peanuts in a sense, a little bit, you know, Snoopy and that sort of thing. It's basically just a mouse droid story. It's a little bit silly. Vader basically just kills like a couple of officers and things. And then he says to the mouse droid, oh, you're the only one who hasn't, you know, aggravated me. And then the mouse droid like hits into his shin by accident and then he crushes it like that. That's basically the story. It's a bit of fun. It doesn't really fit with the, the theme or the darkness of this issue. Um, but regardless. So on to issue number two. It starts off on a space station and there are clones sorting through Jedi artifacts. There's robes, there's sabers, there's holocrons and things like that. And the clones mentioned that Kamino have stopped clone production. Now that links in with The Bad Batch. Obviously this is made in 2017. It's probably written maybe a little bit earlier than that. The Bad Batch is now. So as of recording this, 2021, sort of middle of the year. So there are there is going to be a point where Kamino stop making clones and people know that stormtroopers you enroll into the Imperial Academy so the Bad Batch is obviously going to show that slow transition um, but at the point of this yeah they're basically it's already kind of done so maybe this is now more so like a few weeks or a few months after the events of Revenge of the Sith that sort of thing you know time in Star Wars is always a bit sort of hand wavy we've got general like major points that happen in years but aside from that they don't really get into that many specifics but besides that it's still really cool early on having those connections and things I just want to pause here and say about a holocron. Now, holocron is essentially a Jedi storage device or a USB stick, however you want to frame it. They were first in Legends in a 1992 release called Dark Empire, but in canon, the first time you saw them is in the Clone Wars episode Holocron Heist. They're also in Star Wars Rebels. They are quite prominent in the second and third seasons, from what I remember. They're also in Jedi Fallen Order, the game I mentioned earlier. You can get Jedi holocrons, you can get Sith holocrons. Sith ones are basically always pyramids and Jedi wants are cubes or dodecahedrons or just shapes that aren't pyramids or spheres. That's basically if you know it's a holocron. And normally the Jedi holocrons, they are blue. The Sith holocrons are, yes, unsurprisingly, they are red, which is quite cool. And you need the Force to open the majority of holocrons and some of them also need like a memory crystal to be put in them so they activate and things. So it is basically just a storage device. They have like little hologram capabilities on there as well for certain things. So they're, they're really, really cool. I, I would recommend if people haven't checked out animated series, they're probably the best places to find information about holocrons because there are whole episodes all about them. So back on the space station, you've got these clones and they're talking about how their fighting days are likely done and then some alarms go off and it shows that a ship is approaching and it confirms that it, it is Darth Vader he's in the ship that he stole back from all those slavers in the previous issue and for clarity it is actually a Theta class 2C shuttle uh, you actually see it in Revenge of the Sith I believe it is what Palpatine uses when he lands on Mustafar to go and pick up Vader when he's the you know burning <laughs> when he's burning at the side of the lava and whatnot it is essentially the predecessor to the standard Imperial shuttle the Lambda T4A class that's the one you know is the I always describe it as the box with the fins it's got three fins on it the top and the bottom two corners this is kind of like the precursor to that so it looks a little bit like that so anyway, Vader's ship is approaching this and his droid who's with him says that they can submit clearance codes so he can just land. Vader basically doesn't want to do that. So obviously he's quite still angry and things. So he just 
gets into a firefight with four oncoming ships. He manages to outmaneuver all of them pretty easily. He doesn't take a single hit and he destroys all of them really quickly. Now, the four oncoming ships, they are ARC 170s. Now, that is Aggressive Reconnaissance 170 Starfighters. Now, they're essentially a precursor to the X-Wings. X-Wings are T-65B, X-Wing Starfighters. Um, the ARCs, you get to see them in Clone Wars and the most prominent time you'd see them probably is the very start of Revenge of the Sith when you've got Anakin and Obi-Wan flying to the Invisible Hand which is Grievous's ship above Coruscant which is where Palpatine is held and things they have got clones with them who are flying these ARC 170s so in Revenge of the Sith you, you would know what they look like they kind of look a little bit like X-Wings and what's funny is I looked this up because I wasn't actually sure about X-Wings turns out that apparently the Empire had X-Wings made and they were too expensive for mass production for the Empire so the Empire just didn't buy them of the company who made them which is Incom and so Incom needed to do something with them so the Rebels ended up buying them all which is quite funny because basically you know X-Wings can take a couple of hits because they've got a small amount of deflector shields and they've got a few more gadgets and whatnot whereas TIE Fighters don't have any deflector shields so normally one hit will quite often take down a TIE Fighter and the TIE Fighters normally just have the blasters the laser guns but also I think most TIE Fighters also have missiles so it's just quite interesting that the Empire inadvertently basically gave the rebellion the weapons that they used to defeat them but i say ironically obviously it is ironic but that's generally the story of the empire the entire time you know they made the death star the rebels destroy it and then the fact that they made the death star is a lot of the reason why the rebellion grew so much because so many systems pledged themselves to the rebel alliance because of how scary the death star is rather than doing what tarkin thought would happen which is you know people would be so terrified of the empire that they would just bend to their will um so that's a fun little fact arc one 70 is the precursor to the X-Wing and they look a little bit like that. So back on the space station, the clones think that it's actually a Jedi who is approaching, but obviously they're like, well, the Jedi are all dead. Who could it be? And they go to where the ship is docking and things and get ready to kind of fire when this person emerges. One of them comments to the other one saying that they hope they can defeat this Jedi and capture them and things because then they can become one of the Empire's Royal Guard. Now, the Royal Guards, they are the Red Guards of Palpatine. Uh, they're mentioned in the Queen's Shadow as early as four years after the Phantom Menace. Now, there's 10 years between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. So Palpatine actually started creating the Royal Guard around six years before Attack of the Clones. And in essence, they are basically just the best of the best. Anyone who's in the Imperial Navy or commandos or anyone like that who shows incredible loyalty, strength, and skill, Palpatine then recruits into his Royal Guard. And then whenever Palpatine makes public appearance they are there with him you do get to see them although in the films they look quite cool but they basically just don't do anything in the films at all when you see them in revenge of the sith yoda walks into the room where mars Ahmed and palpatine is in and then almost just clicks his fingers and they both just <laughs> bounce off the wall and collapse to the floor which is a very fun scene but in the comics and things in the lando comic that i tackled a while back they are actually in that and he they're a lot more of a challenge. Like, to people who can't use the Force, the Emperor's Royal Guard are very scary. But if you can use the Force, you could probably get away beating them. Uh, and for clarity, they also often have Force Pikes, and that's just vibro-edged staffs, which is quite cool. And also, they are always silent, so that's a lot of fun things. It's it's just that pledge. It's kind of similar to the Jedi Temple Guard in some ways, where, you know, you wear a mask, you're anonymous, you don't say anything, you just kind of stand quietly, and you're an elite fighter. That's generally what they are but they're not specifically Force-sensitive. I'm pretty certain... I don't know if any of them are Force-sensitive. To my knowledge, in canon, they aren't. And we'll get into why in a bit, because Palpatine does have plans for people who are Force-sensitive and want to serve him, or in some cases don't want to serve him. But I digress. Let's get away from that for the moment. 
So Vader enters the space station and he uses the force to push the clones away and then he also pulls a lightsaber out of one of the drawers that they were filing and taking things out of and then he just kills all of the stormtroopers which is unsurprisingly. Then once the room is clear he drops the saber and then heads to the archives of the ship. Vader requests that the droid gets info about previous Jedi and Vader mentions something called the Barish Vow and it's basically just Jedi that are sworn to refrain from Jedi or galactic business. So it's people who either they feel shame in something or they're just not interested in the order anymore or there's lots of reasons one could take the Barish Vow and to my knowledge the only other place in canon that it is mentioned is in the High Republic novel Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. I won't go into the reasons why but it is in there. It's essentially just a type of penance, and they wouldn't have acted on the purge if there's someone doing the Barish Vow. They would have just kind of stayed where they are and minded their own business. But they probably would have sensed it. That's what Vader mentions. While his droid is searching through the archives trying to find information on Jedi that may have done the Barish Vow, an explosive device appears in the room, clearly thrown by some of the remaining clones. Obviously from different rooms, because Vader definitely cleared the room that he entered in. So Vader holds the explosive device in place with the force so it doesn't explode, but there's a small amount of like gas seeping out. Two clones then appear and hold the guns up to him and confirm that the Jedi are not powerful enough to hold onto the device and to defeat them. He says, you're wrong, and then snaps both their necks. And then straight after that, the droid manages to complete their search. The droid finds a person called Kirak Infil-A, that's K-I-R-A-K, and then I-N-F-I-L apostrophe A. So Kirak Infill ah. So obviously the gap between the L and the A and infill ah. I'm just calling Kirak from now on because it's easier. And apparently Kirak took the vow before the Phantom Menace. So it was before Anakin ever got into the Jedi Order. So he wouldn't have known about any of the stuff that's really been going on. And it's confirmed that the, his only purpose in the Jedi Order was to fight. And then it shows a really cool panel of him there. And he's got this big scar across his chest. And he's like meditating. He's got long hair. He's quite a cool character. I do quite like Kirak. And that is where issue number two ends. So issue number three then. It starts off with Kirak training. He is assembling these Padawan traps while sparring with a Jedi training droid. Uh, Jedi training droids, they also appear in the Obi-Wan and Anakin comic, which is also written by Charles Saul. I tackled that in episode 11 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and they're also in Legends a little bit as well beforehand, but they're not in the Canon that much, but the name is fairly self-explanatory. They're a Jedi training droid. While he's doing this, he then senses Vader. So he throws the Padawan traps at Vader's oncoming ship, and then Vader's ship has to crash land nearby. The droid that Vader's with says that the ship may take up to two days to repair, but he'll get on it right away. And while that happens, Vader just walks away. Vader walks through the valleys and things, and then he comes to a point and this wall comes up in front of him. He turns up and sees at the top of the mountain, Kirak is standing there. Kirak starts to speak, and then Vader tries to force choke him. Um, Kirak then pretty much stops it immediately by, you know, using the force to kind of push Vader, and Vader falls to his knees. And Kirak says that clearly he senses that Vader is the cause of the darkness of the purge and says that he realizes now that his vow was meant to lead him up to this point of defeating Vader and saving the galaxy from the Sith. He tells Vader that he needs to climb up the mountain um, which is used to test Jedi. He then opens a wall in front of Vader and water starts to flood out. Vader pretty soon after getting covered by water uses the force and pushes it all away from him and then makes his way up the mountain. The next trial for Vader is he walks across this bridge and then these giant eagle things called Raptorans attack him, which I can't find anywhere else in the canon. 
while he's fighting the Raptorans, the droid with Kirak says that he's unsure if Vader is actually Sith because there's no lightsaber. Kirak sees that Vader is slowly killing all of these birds, so he calls them off, and then as they start to fly away, Vader uses the Force and kills them all anyway. After being attacked by those birds and things, Vader is damaged a bit, his armour is starting to wear, and as he approaches Kirak as he gets nearer and nearer, Kirak's droid then just runs at Vader. Vader quickly rips off this droid's arm and Force pushes him off the top of the mountain. It's worth mentioning at this point that Kirak actually cancelled the rest of the traps for Vader, because he realises that the traps weren't really going to do anything apart from slow Vader down a little bit, so Kirak decided that we'll just stop all the traps and Vader can come up quicker. After Vader rips off the arm of the droid, he uses it as a weapon, because it is connected to an Electro Staff. Now, an Electro Staff, you would have seen it in Revenge of the Sith. Grievous's bodyguards, which are called the IG-100 Magna Guards, they have double-ended Electro Staffs. On the ship, the Invisible Hand, obviously in the whole first act of Revenge of the Sith, you see them fight Anakin and Obi-Wan, so that's what an Electro Staff is. So Vader's now got this Electro Staff and is approaching Kirak. Kirak calls Vader weak. He says he knows that he's an apprentice, and as Kirak ignites his saber... Vader and Kirak then fight for a little bit. In the fight, Vader's leg starts to give way and kind of breaks the gears and that sort of thing start to fall apart. And so then Kirak uses the force and pushes Vader off the cliff that Vader threw the droid off. And Kirak mentions that he's going to seek out Vader's master. And that's where comic number three ends, so we move on to comic number four. So comic four starts with Vader on the floor, heavily injured after being force pushed off a big mountain, and his armor is, you know, really heavily damaged. The training droid that he pushed off actually mocks him nearby. The training droid is pretty damaged as well, but the training droid is saying like he'll never defeat the light and things. Vader uses the force to lift up this training droid, split him apart, and then uses the parts that he ripped essentially to connect to his armor so he can basically just repair his own armor using pieces from the droid. While this is happening, Kirak goes to the nearby city. He talks to a couple of people that he knows from before he took the vow, and they've got his Jedi Starfighter there. Now, his Jedi Starfighter is a Delta Seven Aether Sprite class light interceptor. You'll have seen this in Attack of the Clones. Obi-Wan flies one when he goes to Kamino, and then also when he goes to Geonosis. These ships, they're triangular. They have reddish pink edges to them, and like a white streak going down the middle. As I said, they're kind of triangular shaped, and they don't have hyperdrives built in, so they need to use hyperdrive rings, which is also seen in Attack of the Clones. And just for clarity, they are the standard Jedi Starfighter. There's a game, which I think was for like the Xbox and PlayStation 2, which is a Legends game and that was called Jedi Starfighter and that's got the picture of this Jedi Starfighter in the front and just for clarity in the start of Revenge of the Sith when you see Anakin and Obi-Wan flying their Jedi Starfighters at that point one of them is black and red the other is black and yellow those ones are actually ATA-2 Actis class light interceptor that's ETA-2 so Delta 7s are the triangular ones from Attack of the Clones and Prior and then the ATA-2 or ETA-2 ones are from Revenge of the Sith so anyway, so yeah, Kirak has got one of the older models, obviously, um, because he took the Barrage of Hell before the Phantom Menace and things. He confirms to these people that he's killed one of the Sith and is now going for his master. But one of the people who's got his Starfighter says that he needs to do some tune-ups because the ship is so old. So he agrees to help them out so he can try and get off this planet as soon as possible to go after Palpatine. While Kirak is repairing his ship, you can see that Vader is getting closer and closer, and then Kirak senses Vader, thinking that it's impossible, he was certain that Vader was dead. Vader is standing at the top of this dam, Kirak looks up to him and jumps an incredible height, this is like a full-size dam. He jumps all the way up there and lands, and then fights with Vader and things for a bit. Then the local police show up, shoot a couple of warning shots to tell them to stop fighting on the dam, because, you know, it's there's a dam in front of this big city, and if they damage it, very bad things would happen. So Vader just throws them off the dam using the force. Kirak saves them and then makes them land safely. 
And Vader notices that Kirak's weakness is caring for other people, which you'll see is a standard Jedi trait. So Vader decides to break the dam, which is going to flood the entirety of the city. He uses the Force to crush certain elements of it that are holding the dam in place. Kirak is shouting at him, telling him to stop, asking why he's doing this, saying, you know, it's between the Jedi and the Sith. These people have got nothing to do with it. Vader ignores him and, and continues to do what he's doing. So Kirak tries to stop the water flow and is trying to stop the dam from being destroyed. Vader seizes this opportunity and uses the Force to pull his lightsaber off of him. And then when he's got his saber, Kirak is then fully using the Force, standing in place, trying to prevent this dam from breaking and there's water starting to spray out and things and you see civilians down at the city starting to panic and in that vader then lifts up kirak with the force over the sort of falling water and things snaps his neck and just drops his corpse into the water and as that happens the dam then fully collapses and submerges all of the city in water and the final panels of this comic is just vader standing victorious with kirak's saber as the entire town or city is completely flooded so the next comic is issue number five. Now I want to clarify of this one. I actually tackled this on an episode of the 20th Century Geek and the uh, Desert Island comics actually. So I spoke about that a bit. And obviously in the Comics in Motion book club, we're going to be talking about it then as well. But I want to clarify that this issue, I really, really recommend people check it out. As in, if you haven't bought the trade paperback collection um, and you just want to see one issue, this is the one issue out of these six. And I'd say this, aside from maybe the last issue of this Vader run, is my favorite Star Wars comic ever. It is just the artwork's incredible, the visuals are amazing, everything about this is brilliant. It really, really benefits from people reading it. So if you have Marvel Unlimited or if you have Hoopla or anywhere that you can get access to this specific issue of the comic, even if you buy it as a one-off on Comixology, I really, really recommend it just for the artwork alone. It is incredible. But with that in mind, obviously I'm just going to give you the footnotes version of this. And so here we go. Vader is in his ship, flying away from that city planet that he decimated, and Palpatine contacts him via comms. He confirms that the droid is now piloting the ship and is taking him to a place that Palpatine has decided, which is Mustafar. Now, for clarity, Mustafar is where Obi-Wan and Anakin had their Equus final battle. Final battle as of recording this, there's rumours that in Kenobi there's going to be more, but aside from that, it's when Anakin went from being, you know, a human-looking Darth Vader to Darth Vader in the suit that we all know. So, Palpatine confirms to Vader that there is actually a dark side locus in the Force and that Vader will need to reclaim himself after his greatest defeat. The kyber crystal Vader has is alive, like all kyber crystals are, so he must bend it to his will. He must corrupt it, teach it his pain, his anger, and make it bleed. And so Vader lands on the planet and then follows the dark side to a cave. I want to clarify a fun thing about Mustafar. It was actually years and years, if not centuries or even millennia before um, the events of Star Wars. It did used to have trees growing on there and used to actually have proper life on there rather than just being this big lava planet. Now, it's all detailed in this virtual reality game called Vader Immortal, I believe it's called. I haven't played it personally because I cannot afford virtual reality um, goggles or you know Oculus I think they're on or the PlayStation one. I can't afford virtual reality which is hundreds of pounds just to play like one or two Star Wars games. So I've watched a few videos on it and that sort of thing. It's where my knowledge generally comes from along with visual dictionary stuff. But yeah, Mustafar used to be inhabitable and then there was basically a crystal thing which allowed it to keep balance. Someone grew selfish, wanted the crystal from themselves and it screwed the whole planet up and that's why it's now like lava everywhere things because the planet is completely unbalanced in that game you basically manage to make the planet get balanced again it's set after return of the jedi and things and then 
in Star Wars, in The Rise of Skywalker, in the first scene where you see Kylo Ren on that planet where there's like trees around and he's fighting loads of people and he gets the Wayfinder, that planet is actually Mustafar. So it shows that decades after the planet was kind of balanced again, it actually can grow plant life and things and isn't just a lava hellscape. So I want to add that in there because it's quite a cool thing about Mustafar. Um, but continuing on with this story... Vader enters this dark side cave because, you know, all dark side stuff ends up being in a cave. He takes the crystal out of the saber, uses the force to make it levitate, and it starts to pulse, and then it knocks Vader down. Vader says to himself, what have I done? And you can see his eyes are actually blue now because part of his helmet got cracked. And he reassembles the saber and then returns to Palpatine. Palpatine asks for the blade. Vader then ignites it and it is light green. Palpatine says that you've clearly made your decision. Vader says that he has, and then they fight. They fight with their lightsabers and Vader then actually kills Palpatine. And then he goes to where Obi-Wan Kenobi is. Now this isn't on Tatooine, this is on some random planet with some trees and things, it doesn't really confirm. He approaches Obi-Wan, takes off his helmet, gets on his knees and says, please. Obi-Wan lifts his blade to swing down at Vader, but then turns it off before he does. Obi-Wan just simply says, Anakin. And then there's a flash and it shows that Vader is back in the dark side cave, that the things that he'd previously saw were visions. And Vader says to himself, no, I refuse. This is all there is. And he grabs the crystal with his hands this time. And then there's some incredible art, which is two double page spreads of visions where you see Obi-Wan and Padme and Palpatine and these sort of things. And it, it's just really, really intense. It's really, really cool. And I'll give my opinions on interpretation of all of that whole scene in the Comics and Motion Book Club, which, as I said, you should have heard the introduction for that at the start of this episode. And as when this gets released, the book club should get released on the feed of Comics in Motion within a few days, I'd say, um, of this episode dropping. So make sure you keep an eye on that feed. Make sure you subscribe and you'll be able to hear my thoughts on this comic because I'm just trying to give you guys the information on it as opposed to my opinions or I'll be here all day. But yeah, there are those two double-page spreads of the visions, and then this issue ends with Vader being on Coruscant. It shows that Tarkin and Mars Armeda are discussing the Death Star with Palpatine. There are two royal guards in front of them. The three panels show Tarkin and Mars Armeda talking. Then the guards get a bit closer and get into like a defensive stance. Then the guards get flung into the back windows and knocked out, and Tarkin and Mars Armeda are looking a bit you know, surprised and things. And Palpatine quickly tells Tarkin and Mars Armeda to leave. They kind of question him for a little bit, saying, you're going to be fine. And Palpatine says, yes, I'm going to be safe. Just leave now. Then the final panels are Vader igniting his red blade to Palpatine and calling him Master. So I said, that whole comic is basically just Vader bleeding his lightsaber crystal and having force visions. It does not benefit from me explaining to you what you see. I just cannot explain enough. You need to see this artwork. It's just, it's just excellent. And I just wanted to add in here, guys, that bleeding lightsaber crystals is something completely new. It's only in this comic and also the Rise of Kylo Ren comic. It gets tackled in other things, like the Ahsoka book. There's something called Cleansing, which is where Ahsoka turns red lightsaber crystal back to white, um, or to white. So you can you can bleed a lightsaber crystal, and then you can cleanse it, and then it becomes white, which is quite cool. There's a character in the High Republic that does something vaguely similar. But in Legends, the way they did it is that the Sith didn't get their own kyber crystals. They actually created their own synthetically. And when you create a synthetic kyber crystal it always shines red so i just want to clarify that just in case anyone who's read a lot of legends books they're like this doesn't sound anything like the same you're correct so in legends it was synthetic and in canon you have to bleed the lightsaber crystal i do personally prefer the canon version i think it is cool but the legends one is quite cool as well um but yeah i want to clarify that and so this all leads us to the final issue in this comic arc slash volume issue number six Vader is in a Bacta tank, which I spoke about a few episodes ago, but it's basically just a big healing, it's basically a big vat of healing goo. You see it in, I think, Empire Strikes Back after 
Luke gets hurt by the Wampa, which is the Yeti thing at the start. You also get to see it in Rogue One as well, when Orson Krennic goes to Mustafar to Vader's castle and speaks to him. And yeah, it's just Vader spends a lot of his time in back to tanks to kind of it says healing his wounds somewhat, but I think it's just the only place he can be where he's maybe not in complete pain. And I think that's where he meditates and probably rests, aside from in his own sort of meditation chamber, which you get to see in the original trilogy and stuff. But obviously, this is far before all that. So Vader's in this back to tank. He's not in his castle on Mustafar because that all gets explained later on in this comic run. He's just somewhere on Coruscant. And Palpatine commends Vader on his success with his lightsaber. And then he says about the droids can repair his armor. Vader seems quite angry at that. So Palpatine confirms that Vader can do it himself because obviously Anakin was an engineer and like tweaking things. So you get to see that Vader then starts to use the force to repair his own armor. While this is happening, you see a hooded figure go into the Jedi Temple, or what was the Jedi Temple. He puts his hand on, like, a Jedi Temple guard that's, like, I don't know if it's the armor in a casing or something like that, but he puts his hands on it and says, lies. While this is happening, Vader is told, after he's putting his armor and things on, that there is an intruder in the archives. This hooded figure, he puts his hand on the archives and says, finally, he can read these things because no one is left. Vader is then there and says, wrong. The figure attacks Vader, and it shows that he's at Powen. Now, a Powan is someone who comes from Utapau. In this fight, eventually you find out that he is the Grand Inquisitor, and the Grand Inquisitor is a main antagonist in Star Wars Rebels. He also appears in the Kanan comic, issue number 12, which I attack on episode 54 of Star Wars Comics in Canon, but he won't really mean much to you unless you've seen Star Wars Rebels, or if you've read one of the new main run of Star Wars comics, the 2020 run, also by Charles Saul, there is a scene where Luke gets a Jedi Temple Guard's lightsaber, and he has like a Force Vision interaction with the Grand Inquisitor, but I'm not going to go into that now because I will be tackling that in a future episode. But yeah, so the Grand Inquisitor appears in here, which is really, really cool tie into Star Wars Rebels, which I love Star Wars Rebels to clarify. But yeah, here's a Powan, which is from Utapau. Uh, for clarity, you'll have seen a Powan, P-A-U apostrophe A-N, Powan. You would have seen them in episode three, Revenge of the Sith, just before Order 66 and whatnot happens. Obi-Wan goes to Utapau to confront General Grievous. When he lands, he speaks to an individual and asks, is there a war going on? He says no, and then he whispers into Obi-Wan's ear saying, no, they're, they're already here. They're holding us hostage and things. That guy, he is a Powan. So they're like humanoid, they've got like greyish, bluish skin, they've got like lines going down on their face, and this one in particular, he's got like red facial markings, the Grand Inquisitor. So Vader and the Grand Inquisitor fight. The Grand Inquisitor is taunting Vader the whole time, saying he's more powerful than Vader and etc. The Grand Inquisitor spins his blade and goes towards Vader. Vader just puts his blade right in the middle of the spin, swipes up and damages the Grand Inquisitor's lightsaber. Vader lifts up his blade to execute and Palpatine stops him. He introduces him as the Grand Inquisitor, and the Inquisitor says that Vader nearly killed me. Why'd you let that happen? And Palpatine says, yeah, Vader nearly killed you with almost no effort. And let this be a valuable lesson to you. So obviously Palpatine was just trying to make sure the Grand Inquisitor was put in his place. It turns out that Grand Inquisitor is part of the Inquisitorious. Palpatine takes Vader to basically show him. He says that they were once slaves to the light. They're now hunters one and all. They're Jedi hunters specifically. The Grand Inquisitor confirms to his brothers and sisters, which is what they call each other, that they now serve both Vader and Palpatine, whereas prior they thought they only served Palpatine, the Emperor, directly. It's confirmed that the Grand Inquisitor resents the Jedi for preventing him from accessing the secrets of the Order, which is why he wanted to go to the archives and things, and Palpatine tells Vader that he needs to train them so they can kill the remaining Jedi because there is no greater threat to the Empire. And then the final panel of this comic is showing a woman cross-legged sitting somewhere, kind of isolated, and this woman is Jocasta Nu. 
Now, for clarity, Joe Caston, no, you will have seen her in Attack of the Clones. I told you there's a lot of connections to the prequels. Uh, in Attack of the Clones, she's one of my least favorite characters in the movies, but in the comics, as you'll see, she's got a bit of a storyline in an upcoming arc, and I do like her more because of that. But she's the one who Obi-Wan goes to and he says, look, I've got a source that tells me that there's a planet called Kamino. It should be here. And then she says in a really snarky tone, if it is not in the archives, it does not exist. And then just walks away. And it's like, fine, screw you then. That's what I thought for ages when I thought about Jocasta Nu. Really wasn't a fan of her, but she does have time to shine, shall we say, uh, in later on in this comic run. But yeah, that is where that comic ends. I just want to clarify one last thing regarding this comic, which is the Inquisitorious, or the Inquisitors, however you want to put it. They are basically the main antagonists. They're in Star Wars Rebels quite a lot. They're also in Jedi Fallen Order. And one of the ones that you fight against in Jedi Fallen Order is actually in this comic as well. And I'll give more backstory to her because you get a bit more dialogue. And she actually says stuff and is involved in a future issue of this Darth Vader run. And I'll go into the the connections with Jedi Fallen Order there as well. But in essence, it's just that Palpatine turned Jedi or captured and tortured Jedi to make them basically be assassins and Jedi hunters to serve the Empire. Because Vader's incredibly powerful, but Vader can't hunt all the Jedi single-handedly. You know, some Jedi are just too weak to waste time with Vader. Sometimes there's just ones they have to, like, chase all over, which is what the issue is with Star Wars Rebels. So, yeah, they're basically just... They're not quite Sith, but they're, like, tools of the Sith, in essence. I believe the Inquisitorious um, were in Legends a little bit, but, yeah, they're very prominent in the new canon. But yeah, guys, that is the end of all these comics. Um, I really hope you enjoyed these. Um, as I said, I can't say enough to go and check out these comic run. The whole 2017 Darth Vader run is just absolutely fantastic. It's got so many cool connections to the prequels and the originals. Uh, and it's just so much fun. There's loads of really cool Vader action. There's some great dialogue. The artwork's insanely good as well. So it's just a really, really solid comic run. And I, I absolutely love it. I can't say any enough good things about it. But you know, if you want me to analyze it and talk about details and things like that, go through my opinions in certain aspects, make sure you tune into the Comics Emotion book club which once it's up once it's up i will release a link in the show notes for that but as of this being released it probably won't quite be out just yet but it should be out within a few days now, I'm not going to ramble on at the end here because last week's episode, I realized after recording, I'd spent about 10 minutes waffling at the end. So I'm just going to say I've included links in the description to all of the sort of guest spots I've been in recently and things. Um, on social media, I'll have posted photos of these Vader comics as well. Um, Patreon supporters, for anyone who um, contributes £2 a month or more, you get access to the photos several days early. You also get access to a sheet which shows all of the guest spots I've been doing recently, future guest spots I've got booked, and lots of other bits and pieces in that sort of realm as well so you know go over check out patreon.com slash genuine chit chat uh, you can also find that there's three episodes i've done for free on there uh, you have to scroll down quite a bit but i've included a link in the description to the spider-man 3 talk there's myself and megan talking about that for about half an hour so make sure you check that out too and make sure you check out my other podcast genuine chit chat uh, it's on its own feed and whatnot i talk to a different guest each episode it's like an interview style conversational podcast uh, loads of cool things on there as well and in the pipeline i've got more styles related conversations coming up but i did recently talk to a guy called michael mccormick he is a puppet master he did a lot of the puppet work for labyrinth and dark crystal along with jim henson and he also created the character salacious crumb which you can see in return of the jedi that's a weird little cackling thing the species is called a coakian monkey lizard so he actually created that puppet he also created like something called elephant man and a few other things not the, the famous film elephant man with john hurt as in there's a character that they kind of nicknamed elephant man and things 
So lots of really cool conversations I had with him. Make sure you go check that out. And yeah, check out all the other amazing shows on the feed of Comics in Motion. You can go over to my YouTube channel, Genuine Chit Chat, and I upload all the episodes of Genuine Chit Chat, as well as all the episodes of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and loads of them are in playlists and stuff as well. And then for clarity, next week, I'm going to be doing the final batch of the Dr. Afro comics. It's called A Rogue's End, uh, and that is going to be the final batch of the 2016 Dr. Afro run, which was written by Kieran Gillen and Simon Spurrier. And then the week after that, I'm going to be tackling the next batch of the War of the Bounty Hunters comics. So I tackled the prelude of that a few weeks back, and that is currently ongoing. So that's like the newest Star Wars comics I'm actually tackling. So lots of cool things ongoing, lots of cool things coming up. Make sure you contact me at Genuine Chits Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. And yeah, you can send questions my way. You can ask for advice. I've had a couple of people ask me for opinions on books to read um, or where to start with certain aspects. You know, feel free to reach out to me and ask me any of those things. You can message or email or anything like that, and I will help you wherever I can. But that is enough from me, guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always. I appreciate each and every one of you listening. You are all incredible. And as always, guys, may the Force be with you. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, Found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org.